Welcome to The Point. Here's what's going on. We are now accepting monetary donations to provide clothing and necessities for children in need from our community this fall. If you would like to contribute, donations can be made online or dropped in the give drop box or contribution boxes at the exits of the sanctuary. For more information, contact Christy Douglas. Kids Point Summer Connect will not meet tonight as Pastor Kevin is hosting summer camp at Dora Lake. Kids Point Summer Connect will meet again next Sunday. Save the date for our annual Global Impact Conference. The GIC will begin Sunday, September 20th. That's what's going on at The Point. Let's expand as kingdom across the street and around the world. Stop the Lord. 
get out of church.
everybody together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but only trust in Jesus' name.
Good morning, Longview Point. I hope that you're doing well where you are. It's good to be back with you on this Lord's Day morning. I want to encourage you to set aside anything that might be distracting, gather the family, huddle around the television or the computer screen, and join with me as we study God's Word together. We're going to be looking this morning at Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. So we said last week one of the major practical themes in the book of Philippians is joy. Paul commands the church to rejoice, to have joy, to celebrate the goodness of God toward them. In spite of all that Paul is facing uh, in the background of his letter to the church at Philippi, Paul is resilient in his rejoicing at the goodness of the gospel and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I want us to look this morning as we read together in verses 12 through 20 for some reasons to rejoice, some ways that we might rejoice in the face of some adversity. We'll set the scene for Paul's circumstances as he writes this letter a little better as we read along. Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse number 12. Here's what the Bible says. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice, because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I'll not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of His Word. So the question that sort of hangs over our message and our study of this text is this. How can we, in spite of great adversity, remain joyful? How can we rejoice when things have gone awry? The book of James instructs that we are to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Peter teaches us that uh, when trials come, that when the difficulties of life come, it has a refining effect on, effect on our faith, that our faith is proven to be more genuine, more precious than silver or gold. The Apostle Paul instructs us in Romans 8 that when difficulties come, they do so according to the orchestration of God in heaven who is always at work for our good and for the glory of His name. Across the New Testament, there are these countless exhortations that the difficulties that we experience in the here and now ultimately result in our betterment and the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the glory of God here on earth is manifest in the midst of the difficulties and the hardships that we face. Paul rejoices in his hardship, rejoices in the adversity that he experiences and gives us some insight into how it is that we can maintain joy in the face of difficult circumstances. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, 
that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. Now, it would be really easy for us to run through that and think of Paul writing from sort of generic, difficult circumstances, but let's give a moment to think about all that Paul has endured. For his efforts to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the city of Jerusalem, he has been arrested and imprisoned by the Roman authorities. There has been a coup staged on his life. There were a group of people who committed to fasting. They said, we'll not eat until we've taken the life of the Apostle Paul. He appeals on the basis of his Roman citizenship for a higher authority, a higher court to be the judge of his case, and he is swept away and shipped off, uh, literally shipped off to Rome where he'll have his case heard there, but he doesn't, it seems, find a fair hearing even in the Roman system. He is imprisoned for an extended season of time. He's faced with all of the challenges of his being shipped there and a shipwreck that happens along the way. Virtually everything that could happen to the Apostle Paul has happened to the Apostle Paul. And it's happened in the context of him simply trying to advance the gospel. Now, it's one thing for bad things to happen to us when we make mistakes and those bad things come as the consequence of our failures or our poor decision making. But here the Apostle Paul is, is merely trying to adhere to the command of Jesus on his life to go and make disciples of all nations. He does at the same time pursue holiness and righteousness in his own life. This is a man single-minded in his devotion to the things of God. Here is a man who is, by virtually all accounts, an example of Christian faith, a man who is able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now that's a strong word. And in spite of his commitment to holiness, in spite of his commitment to the advancement of the gospel, in spite of his efforts at reaching his own fellow countrymen, he is imprisoned, he is shipped away, he has now been locked away in the city of Rome for an extended period of time. And it's from that context that the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. Now, now think from the perspective of the Philippian church for just a moment. Here's a group of people who love the Apostle Paul. Paul was an integral part of, of God reaching that city with the gospel and the establishment of that church. In Acts 16, Paul witnesses to the Philippian jailer. He goes out by the river and shares the good news of the gospel with a small gathering of Jewish women. And Lydia, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, comes to faith. Paul is a critical part of the foundation of, of that church. They love the Apostle Paul. It's been a while since they've heard from Paul. In fact, some time has passed, years have passed since they've heard anything from Paul. They've raised an offering, as we'll see in Philippians chapter 3, and sent it by the hand of a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus arrives at Paul's place of residence, his place of imprisonment, and delivers the gift and is of aid and encouragement to him. But during that stay, Epaphroditus becomes ill and is unable to return to the Philippian church. So not now, not only have they not heard from Paul in more than a year, they've not heard from Epaphroditus who went to attend to the needs of the Apostle Paul. They love this man. There must have been great concern and worry for the condition of the Apostle Paul. They've heard of some bad things, presumably, that have happened to the Apostle Paul. At, at the very least, they know of his imprisonment, given that they've sent Epaphroditus. They know of all of these troubling things that have happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. And he says to them, they must have been expecting the worst of news. And he says to them, I want you to know 
that these difficult things, that these troubling things have actually turned out to serve the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he explains how in verse 13. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. My being locked away this way, my being imprisoned, has caused a great deal of conversation. And that conversation has centered around the reality that I am locked away here, I am imprisoned here for the cause of Christ. It built into that conversation has to be some explanation as to the cause of Christ. Even as there's murmuring about this Paul who is imprisoned in the city of Rome and all of the difficulties that have come his way and, and, and the constant trouble that seems to be bubbling up around him is a conversation about this message that he preaches. We know from other places in the New Testament, this is an audacious message that he preaches, preaching that Jesus has come as the King of the Jews, but more importantly, as the Son of God that he died by Roman execution on the cross, but that's not the end of the story. This man was raised from the dead on the third day. Now the Apostle Paul, this man locked away in a Roman prison, is so committed to the truth of Jesus' resurrection that he has been willing to sacrifice his own life and well-being. The imperial guard is aware of what's happened to him, and presumably Paul has had the opportunity to share with them the message of Christ, the cause of Christ that's brought him to this place in his life. Outside of the imperial guard, there's conversation, there's, there's, there's listening, there's intrigue about how it is and why it is that Paul is locked away under these conditions. Because of the difficulties that have come the way of the apostle Paul, many have come to know the truth of the gospel. And, and isn't it often the case that this is the way gospel advancing work happens, right? The blackness of the backdrop provided by the struggles of our life provide a great opportunity for the light of the gospel to shine most prominently. Many of you listening came to faith in Jesus against the backdrop of great difficulty in your life. Or you came to faith in Jesus because the light of the gospel shone prominently against the, back, the backdrop of the difficulties of someone else's life. Their experiences, their hardships gave them credibility and a voice with you during a certain time in your life and you heard the good news of the gospel and believed. Paul says, what's happened to me has actually been for the good of the kingdom because many more now know of the cause of Christ. Many more now know of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's more. In verse 14, Paul says, Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. The boldness of the Apostle Paul in the face of adversity emboldened them to remain steadfast in their efforts to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of, the, one of the things that I find to be quite devotional for me and helpful for me, encouraging when it comes to boldness, is to spend time with, with men either in books or in person with men who have risked life and limb in order to see the gospel advance in difficult places. We are so desensitized by the comfort with which we live in our culture that we often lose touch with the daring nature of gospel advancing work. If there's not an element of danger 
in your efforts at advancing the gospel. I don't always mean the, the risk of physical harm. I, I, I mean putting yourself out there in, in some way. If that's, if that's not a part of your efforts at advancing the gospel, there, there's, there's, a, there's another layer, right? An, like another level, not, not a more a, a deeper faithfulness uh, per se, but, but there's certainly more that can be done. What is abundantly clear in the New Testament is that when, when we commit ourselves to righteousness, difficulties and hardships always come with that. There's a certain level of vulnerability that necessarily comes with meaningful gospel advancing work. Paul is saying to the Philippian church, not only are more people coming to hear of the gospel of Jesus because of my imprisonment, but my being here and being steadfast has emboldened other brothers that they would themselves risk imprisonment in order that the world might know that Jesus Christ is king. Now here's the thing, here's the first thing I want you to see. If the question that's hanging over our discussion this morning is how we maintain joy in the face of adversity, the first step would look like this. We evaluate the circumstances of our life not by how they serve our self-interest, but how they serve the advancement of the gospel. So that when the diagnosis is not what we'd hoped for, or the bottom line is not where we had wished it would be, or whatever else has unfolded in our life, our first thought is not how this advances my kingdom here on earth, serves my personal well-being, or bolsters my bottom line. The first thought for us is, how does this situation help me to be a greater part of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no mistaking the reality that the Apostle Paul is writing from a place in time in his life when he is wholeheartedly and unselfishly sold out to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And may God be pleased to grant many more in his likeness. The circumstances of your life ought not be evaluated first and foremost by how they serve your well-being, by your growth in prominence, privilege, or even wealth, but how they serve to advance the kingdom of the only one worthy of our worship and our praise. Look at verse 15. Paul says, To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. But he goes on to say in verse 18, what does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. I would love to know the intricate details behind the Apostle Paul's comments here, what it is exactly that has divided him against those who preach out of selfish ambition or with a want to bring him greater pain or anxiety in his imprisonment. We just don't know. There are a few things that are very clear about this passage. One, Paul is satisfied even in the event that the motives of the gospel preacher are not all that they could be that the gospel is proclaimed. He just wants to hear the gospel preached. Now clearly what he's not describing here is a scenario in which an untrue gospel or a false gospel is being preached and he's resigning himself to some comfort that at least some form of the gospel is preached. 
That is abundantly clear within the context of Philippians. If you look at Philippians chapter 3, Paul has some of his harshest criticisms for those who seem to be on the periphery or outside of the church who are distorting the gospel. They're preaching a false gospel. Jesus seems to be the, the focal point to some extent of their message, but the, the attending doctrines that they teach ultimately minimize the significance of what Jesus does for us on the cross. We'll get to those things, Lord willing, in the weeks ahead. But Paul, again, is not resigning himself to some level of comfort that something of the gospel is preached when a false gospel is being preached. That is not the teaching of the text. What he is describing here is a scenario in which among true believers there is some division. There are those who are with him and there are those who are against him. But their division is, it seems, over non-essential issues. And so Paul is willing to say, whether they like me or they don't like me, whether their hope is that they're preaching and, and, and prosperity and ministry uh, is a shot at me or stings me in some way, brings me anxiety, undermines my standing personally in some kind of way. If, if, if that's all that results from that is my sting, then I can live with the sting. I can live with the disagreement so that the gospel can be preached. It seems clear to me, and it's an unfortunate reality, but a clear reality both in Philippians 1 and in, and in the present day, that these are brothers. These are real brothers in Christ who have come to a fork in the road. There's some disagreement among them, and yet Paul is pleased and celebrates their gospel preaching. We could use a dose of this in the 21st century church, especially in the Western church, where disagreement on second and third level issues is the kind of thing that can divide us and divide us in such a way that there's real animus, there's real vitriol, and even disdain for another's ministry. Now, I'm not talking about essential gospel issues here. I'm talking on secondary issues, third-level issues, and often third-level issues and even fourth- and fifth-level issues are where the rub can really come in. We see a lot of issues at work in our country today that, that can divide us. If you were a part of our uh, live worship service last week, I had a chance to speak in greater detail to some of those issues than what I had even in this format. But there are a variety of issues before us today that are non-essential issues when it comes to the gospel that, uh, that if we're not careful, we will allow to divide us in ways that are unhealthy, unwholesome, and ultimately in ways that decrease our capacity for gospel advancing work. Now, the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's faced the great hardship that we've discussed at some length now, and yet he continues to rejoice at the preaching of the gospel in, even when it's the preaching of the gospel from the mouths of those who have opposed him on some level. And here, here's what I would say to you with regards to maintaining your joy in the face of some adversity. Paul makes it his delight to rejoice in the advancement of the gospel. Now here's why that's important. Your physical health will ultimately fail. One day you and I will die. The success that you have enjoyed in this world will one day tail off. It, it, it will ebb and it will flow. Those earthly things that we tend to hang our hat on will one day go away. Moth and rust will destroy. But Jesus has promised that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. 
If you make the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ your great source of joy in the here and now, there is nothing, not even the gates of hell, that can bring a stop to the joy that you have in Jesus. Now, one of the most difficult things in ministry is to be opposed by or to be at odds with other brothers in the gospel, right? I'm, I'm not a person who likes conflict. If there's anything that keeps me up at night in, in ministry, it's the idea that I might have done something unnecessarily to offend someone else. I don't mind offending someone if it's the gospel that offends them, but more times than not, it's not the gospel that offends those uh, that we love the most. It's our presentation or some element of our personality, our we're just prickly people sometimes. Maybe we're not as discerning socially as what we might need to be. We did pick up on certain cues or we weren't aware of a sensitive issue, something along those lines. I, I hate those kinds of things. It, it troubles me deeply to think about saying something that's not reflective of the gospel that would do harm to someone who's listening or even in casual conversation. It can be a deeply discouraging thing. So in the face of one of the most discouraging elements of ministry, Paul says, I'm able to, to rejoice. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm refreshed by the reality that the gospel is being preached. I'll go a step further than this. Not only does finding joy in gospel advancement ensure that there's always reason for rejoicing because the gates of hell will not prevail against the advancement of his kingdom, the building of his church. They're, they're, you, need, you need to, in your life, in the ministry that God has assigned to you, focus on the things that cannot be taken away. I say this sometimes to discourage brothers in ministry. Focus on the things that can't be taken away. For me, it's, it's praying for the people of God, loving the people of God, and preaching the Word of God. There's nothing that can ever take that away. And so many times I see brothers in ministry and they get their sights fixed on some project, something that's secondary to the gospel ministry God's called them to, and their inability to pursue that or to see that through just brings them low and there's discouragement and frustration that comes along with that. There's even the discouragement that comes with the ungodly decisions that sometimes those within our care make. That's a deep and heavy burden when people that you've watched grow in Christ and mature in grace make decisions that are destructive for them or for their families or for their church. That's a heavy burden to bear. But if my focus in ministry is prayer and loving the people of God and preaching the Word of God, there's nothing that can ever take, only, only death can take that away from me. And at that moment, I'm perfected in Christ. Focus on the things that are of eternal significance. And no man, no diagnosis, no turn of fate, no circumstance in this world can take those things away from you. If you want to maintain joy in the face of real challenges in this life, Set your gaze on gospel advancement, the things of eternal significance, and nothing can ever take those things away. In verse 18, Paul says, What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, and I will rejoice, because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus. 
My eager expectation and hope is that I'll not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What Paul says here is essentially what he says in next week's passage. He says, I can't lose. I'm in a win-win position. We've talked about being between a rock and a hard place. Paul is between... A Christian service in the here and now in heaven. There, there are no bad alternatives for the Apostle Paul. Think about the invincibility that comes along with knowing Jesus as the Lord of our life. When, when we really get our heads around that and we live in light of the truth of his resurrection and our resurrection bound up in the guarantee provided by his, there is a sense of a feeling of invincibility that comes along with that recognition, right? Paul says, the worst that they can do to me is kill me. And if they kill me, I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus. That may be the best alternative for me. He says later, I don't know if it's better for me to stay here and continue in ministry or go to heaven and be with Jesus now. Whatever God's will for me would be, I'm I'm resigned to, to, to his knowing what is best for me. Paul is remembering his standing in Christ And as a result of that remembrance, he is able to rejoice. And again, he says, rejoice. He says, my eager expectation and hope is that I'll not be ashamed about anything. But now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my life. He says, I'm rejoicing. I'm celebrating. My deliverance is coming one way or the other. I am going to be delivered through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus. I am going to be delivered whether it be in the here and now or the there and then, deliverance is coming for every blood-bought believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I cannot lose. Paul says, I have a plan. My plan is to be bold. My plan is to honor Jesus. My plan is to entrust my future to Jesus Christ. I can remember as a young lost boy, about 15 years old, coming to a place of rebelliousness where I had resigned myself to the notion that it didn't matter what they did to punish me or to discipline me for the things that I'd done. I was no longer afraid of those punishments. And it was as though a light bulb came on or went on for me. And I realized that when there is no fear of consequences, there is no restraint. There, there was in the estimation of a, a seemingly hopelessly lost 15-year-old boy that there was nothing that I could not do, perhaps nothing that I would not do. Now, that's a, a, a devilish spin on what Paul is describing here. The reality that Paul has come to terms with is, is the reality that in Christ, because of his resurrection, our resurrection is guaranteed. We are no longer our own. The consequences no longer bear pain in our life because we win here or we win there and we win in both places in Jesus. It's a win-win proposition for us. When you come to terms with that, that perhaps is the key. That's the reality that holds all of this together, right? That's the key to maintaining our joy in spite of what happens to us in the here and now. In life and in death, we are winners. In sickness and in health, we are winners in Christ. In the good times and in the bad, we are winners in Christ because we're not our own, because we're in a win-win place. 
because the, the thing that makes us go, the advancement of the gospel has been assured and secured by the promise of Jesus, and he always keeps his promise. The gates of hell will not prevail. Whether it be in life or in death, we are winners because of what Christ has done for us. I wonder if you have that kind of security this morning. If you're able to say, as the Apostle Paul was, on the worst of days, because of what Jesus has done, I'm able to rejoice. Can I just say to you, brothers and sisters, that neither you nor me have had, do have, or will have a problem that the resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot fix. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word, for the truths of this text and the promises of the gospel. Thank you for the treasure that awaits us in Jesus. God, I pray that as we meditate on this passage, not just now, but perhaps for the rest of this day and into the next weeks and months, I pray, God, that you'd be pleased to grant us a, a boldness, a, a sense of invincibility in the gospel that would render us fearless, Lord, in the face of great opposition, that no matter what the circumstances might look like, that we would rest comfortably and confidently in the truth of Jesus' resurrection. I pray that every person listening would know the reality of Jesus' sinless life his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. God, I pray that with that knowledge, we might fix our gaze and our faith on the finished work of Jesus as the substitute for our unrighteousness. God, grant it so we pray. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. Amen and amen. If you're watching this morning and there's a way that we could be of help or encouragement to you, by we I mean our pastoral staff, their numbers, our numbers are before you on the screen, names and numbers, and we'd love nothing more today than to have the opportunity to counsel with you about the goodness of the gospel, to share with you the truths of God's word and the promises that God holds forth for us today if we look to him in faith. This morning, turn away from your sin. And for that matter, turn away from your cares and your anxieties, the things that burden you so deeply. Come to the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Come to Christ for grace and for mercy and forgiveness from your sin. Receive the promise of everlasting life. Come join us in this position of victory to live as Christ and to die as gain because of his death and resurrection. Reach out to us and let us know what the Lord's doing in your life. If you'd wish to be faithful in believer's baptism upon your faith in Jesus, we'd love to counsel with you. Maybe you've been visiting with us or attending with us for some time now through the quarantine season, but would like to be a part of our faith family here to be partners in the gospel with the Longview Point Church family. We'd love to have you as a part of what God is doing here within our church body. Reach out to us and let us know. I can't wait to be able to see you in person again. I hope that all is going well for you there. Again, keep us posted as to how the Lord's at work in your life, and we'll see you soon. Have a great day.